The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. How could they? Don't you ask that question when you see the Israelites bowing down before a golden calf worshiping an idol. I mean, how could they do this? You know, but as we look at this account today, there might be another question that comes bubbling up through our conscience. How could we? You know, when I studied Exodus chapter 32 again this week, I was struck by two things. First, the absolutely unbelievable nature that the Israelites would do this. I found it unbelievable. But at the same point, I found it quite understandable. Unbelievable because of what the Israelites had seen. Remember where we're at here in this account. You got Israel beneath Mount Sinai, and think about what they had witnessed. They had been slaves in Egypt, but God sent Moses, said to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, let my people go. And when Pharaoh refused, God came in power. He sent plague after plague after plague. And what God did was he brought the world's only superpower of the ancient Near East to its knees. He decimated their flocks and fields. He destroyed their army. He humbled their king. Then he took Israel up out of slavery and let them cross the Red Sea on dry ground. Think of what these Israelites had witnessed. And then they came to Mount Sinai, where this God, who was so powerful that the most powerful nation on earth had to bow before him, this God descends onto the mountaintop, covers it with fire and clouds and billows of smoke, and then the God of all power, he speaks to them. And he makes a covenant with them, an agreement. He says, you be my people, and I will be your God. And then he gives them the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And the first one on the list, you shall have no other gods, just me. Worship only me. How could they? After everything that they'd seen, how could they make this huge mistake of bowing down and worshiping a golden calf? I mean, doesn't that seem absolutely unbelievable? But, you know, if we understand Israel and understand ourselves, well, maybe we can also find it quite understandable because, honestly, sinful humanity, our capacity for selfishness and self-centeredness seems to have absolutely no bounds. So here's what happened. So God makes this covenant with Israel, gives them the Ten Commandments, and then God invites Moses to come up onto the Mount On to Mount Sinai, covered in fire, he says, I'm going to give you two tablets of stone with the words of the covenant written upon it. And so Israel is all watching as Moses goes up the mountain and enters into a cloud of fire. And then they waited for him. And the minutes turned into hours, but Moses didn't come back. They came back the next day to watch, and the hours turned into days, but Moses didn't come back. The days turned into weeks, and finally Moses had been gone more than a month. And the people of Israel, 
They got tired of waiting. They didn't want to wait around at the foot of this mountain anymore. They wanted to get on to the land of milk and honey they'd been promised. And Moses, who knows what happened to him? He's been gone for more than a month. And honestly, we all saw him walk into a cloud of fire. Uh, He's probably dead. There's no sense waiting here anymore. That's a true fact of our life with God, that waiting on God can be a very hard thing for believers. When God has a timeline for something in our life and it requires us to wait for his time, it's, boy, it's very tempting to try to take things into our own hands. That's what Israel did. You see, they, they didn't want a God they had to wait for. They wanted a God that worked on their timeline. So what do they do? They go to Aaron. This is Moses' brother. He's the second in command. And uh, they said, you know what, Aaron, we need to do something. We don't know what happened to this guy Moses. He's been gone for a month. He's probably dead. What we want is we want a God that we don't have to wait around on. Aaron, make us a God that we can carry around, that can go before us. (laughs) Think about that. Absolutely unbelievable that the people who had witnessed the God of heaven and earth acting, they're like, nah, we'd like a smaller God than that, one that bends to our will. We can carry around, come and go when we'd like to. It would be unbelievable except for the fact that you and I know exactly how understandable that that thought is because it's one that we fall into all the time. Because we're tempted to want a made-to-order God who gives us what we want when we want it. Right? What's your made-to-order God look like? Do you want a God that never lets anything bad happen to you? That'd be a good one. I'd like that one. Or how about a God who forgives you when you feel badly for doing something, but isn't so concerned about the sin that you really don't want to root out of your life? Well, that'd be a nice God, wouldn't it? You, how about a God who's just always there for you, but isn't all that concerned if you don't have time for him? Sometimes we want a God that we can carry around. Not just how could they, how could we with what we've seen? I think it's understandable that Israel wanted a God that they could carry around. And once they started making a God to order, well, they didn't stop there. How about a God who's just like the pagan Canaanites around us? You know what their worship is like? It's a fertility rite. Why don't we do that as long as we're making a God? We can go ahead and act like animals and take the things that God has reserved for the sanctity of marriage. And they were right in the middle of it when Moses comes back down the mountain. He goes to his brother Aaron and he says, what did they do to you that you led them into such a great sin? Right? First commandment, the very first word of God's covenant, you shall have no other gods. Aaron failed completely. But you know, Aaron's answer to Moses can be a really great instruction for you and I and how we deal with the golden calves that we build in our own life. Right? So think about the golden calf that maybe you've built in your life. That'd be something that calls you to walk down a path other than the one God wants you to walk down. I don't know, what it. what is that golden calf in your life? Is it your job? 
Is it a relationship? Is it self-centeredness? Is it impurity? Whatever it is that calls you to walk down a path where God has called you not to. Now, think about that. And then honestly reflect for a second. How do you respond when God's word clearly calls out the golden calf that's in your life is wrong? Right? And you read God's word, or you hear it preached, and you go, yeah, yeah, no, what God's saying in that section of scripture applies to the golden calf in my life, and it calls it out. It's interesting to see how Aaron reacted when he was called out by Moses, right? Moses says, what have they done to you that you've led them into this great sin? This is, this is sin, Aaron. Listen to what Aaron says. Don't be angry. You know how prone these people are to evil. Now what does he do? First thing he does is blame everybody around him, right? These, here's the thing. Those people might have been prone to evil, but Aaron, you didn't have to listen. Aaron, you've seen everything that God's done for us. When our response to being called out by God's word about a golden calf is to blame it on the people around us, we're acting like Aaron, right? Like if if your family's falling apart, I'm sure it's them and because of what they did and who they are, right? Sound familiar? It's acting like Aaron. Or students, you know, that class you're failing. Why? I mean, it's the teacher, right? She doesn't, she doesn't care. She's too tough. Sound familiar? It's acting like Aaron. Right? He didn't have to listen to them. We do this when God's word confronts us about the sin in our life, and we want to make an excuse for it. We want to blame it on the people around us. I mean, Aaron, he keeps going. I think we can see ourselves in him too, right? Um, the thing is, is... Uh, Aaron said these people are prone to evil. But if you read the account, Aaron was the one who said, oh, you want a God to go before you? Bring your gold into me. Bring it in. Right? And then even more, he's the one that made the golden calf. But when Moses confronts him, this is the best part, Aaron goes, well, I just took this gold, threw it into a fire, and out came this calf. I mean, who would have known? How, what in the world? It just happened. We do this. When God confronts the golden calves in our life and say, well, I didn't, I didn't mean for it to happen. The affair just happened. I didn't intend to hurt anybody. That I just, you know, it just happened. When we say those words, do we even believe them as they're coming out of our mouths? Really? Those words are as silly as Aaron saying, threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf. Silly. And in fact, it's absolutely untrue. If you go back to the first or the fourth verse of this chapter, this is what it says about how this calf came into being. Aaron took the gold they brought, melted it down, made it into a calf, and worked it with a tool. Yeah, here's a lesson for us to learn. Um, If the first lesson was don't blame your golden calves on somebody else, The second one is, don't try to convince yourself that sin just happens. The reality is is that we build the golden calf in our life one sinful decision at a time. Maybe the last lesson is what happens next. So Aaron makes this golden calf for the people. And then the leaders tell Israel, look, 
This is your God. And Aaron, Aaron got a little nervous because that was, uh, that's, pre- that's pretty much 100% idolatry, right? Aaron was happy with maybe partial idolatry, but boy, the way they were talking, that's, this is your God? So what does Aaron do? Aaron, uh, he tries to make it seem a little better. So he says, no, 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 tomorrow we're going to have a festival to the Lord, the true God, and, you know, this golden calf, it's going to kind of help with that worship of, of the Lord. Um, here's the last important lesson for us to learn from the golden calf. Something isn't godly just because you say it is. Right? The way we usually do this with the golden calves in our life is we... Uh, we add some pious talk around it as a way of rationalizing it. Uh, well, I know what the Bible says about divorce, but, you know, I've prayed about it, and I'm, I know that God wants me to be happy. Well, it sounds pious. It just doesn't happen to be true. Or, uh, well, I, I know that the Bible says sex is for marriage, but, you know, we're very committed to each other, and we've talked about it a lot, and we think that God approves of this relationship, so we're going to move in together. Sounds pious. Just doesn't happen to be true. I know I don't come to church as often as I should, but, but I'm really spiritual. And I think God understands, too, that there needs to be a balance of you know, me time and personal time. Sounds pious. It just doesn't happen to be true. Just because you call something godly doesn't mean it is. Just because you pray about something doesn't make it right. Okay, that's why God gave us his word. So we don't have to wonder about these things. Did Aaron really, was he left in the dark about whether or not God would be pleased or displeased with his golden calf? No, he'd given him the Ten Commandments. First commandment, you shall worship no other gods than me. God doesn't leave us in the dark about what he wants from us. The reality is sometimes we want to keep ourselves in the dark because we don't want to hear what he has to say. That's the problem with golden calves in our life. They are all first commandment sins, right? God said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Any of these things, they're first commandment sins, And what do we offer? We're like Aaron. We offer blame or excuses or rationalization when what we really need, what we really need is atonement. Because when we come face to face with the reality of our golden calves, what are you supposed to do then with them? Well, Moses gave a pretty good start. He took that golden calf, he burned it in the fire, he crushed it and ground it down into a powder. He smashed that idol. And then he said to them, you've committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. See, golden calves, they don't require a self-help book. Golden calves are not fixed by making promises to yourself. No, the way to deal with the golden calf in your life is to find atonement for it. And here's the wonderful news that God gives us today, that we have one who went to God to intercede for us. So Moses goes to God and he says, 
Oh Lord, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Now there's only one reason and only one way God could forgive a sin like this of Israel or he could forgive the sins of the golden calves in my life. There's only one way. And that's because someone went to make atonement for us. And when Jesus went to make atonement, he wasn't like Moses who had to pray that, God, please forgive these sins. No, Jesus went and paid the penalty for all of it. Jesus knows the golden calves that I've built in my life. And yet still he went to the cross for me. Still he went to the cross to take my punishment, to free me from my guilt, to say to you, I have forgiven your wickedness. I can remember your sin no more. Because I'm the price that needed to be paid to make you at one again with your heavenly Father. I'm the one who came to fulfill God's will for you in your life. This is how God described himself. The Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. There are going to be days when you look back at the golden calves that were in your life and you'll shake your head and say, how could we have done that? Remember that you have one who made atonement for you one who paid for every sin, one who opened the door to heaven to you again, who has now called you to be his own special people, a kingdom of priests that are holy to the Lord. A God like that deserves all of your love. So smash the idols. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. God grant it. Amen.